Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. This is Jennifer Conzin with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And we have been talking in the last several broadcasts about questions that singles have and teens about sexuality. We go to a number of places and do workshops and we get lots of great questions. And so we're addressing some of those. This is a part three or four here. And we're going to continue doing that for this broadcast and another probably. And let's start with a really good one. This person is asking... What are the ramifications if a person's had too much explanation and discussions about sexuality with their parents and they've seen their parents commit adultery or have sex with someone other than their wife or husband? So now this is going to be something that can be relevant to whether you're single and a teen or whether you're married. You might have a background where your parents engaged in things that were quite troubling to you or that weren't the example that you want to set in your life. And you may have heard a lot of things about sexuality during those years that that are problematic. You look back now and you think, man, they shared way too much of what was going on in their life. And there are times where parents share too many details. They share too much to their children about what's going on in their own sexuality. And kids can feel like it's intrusive. They don't want to know. Most of you probably listening have a memory of a time with your parent where they told you stuff. (laughs) I've been there. My own mother told me some details. I'm like, you know, I really don't want to know that. So there, what's the barrier? What's the line between how much you should share and, and what's too much and And there may be experiences you've had that felt intrusive. Now, sometimes parents will tell sexual jokes in front of their kids, either about their kid, they'll kind of jab at them, or they'll, the kid will overhear sexual jokes. Or at times, if you've had a parent that's been sexually active and isn't desiring to really live out their sexuality according to God's plan, then they may have shared too much information about what they're doing sexually or about the issues that they're having in their marital sexual relationship. That does happen. And then, of course, yes, this is the second part of that question. When parents engage in extramarital relationships and Um, They share those details with their kids. Then this happened either before they got married or during their marriage. And these can cause a number of difficulties for anybody. Uh, Like I said, I've experienced those. My husband's experienced those. Most of you out there listening has probably experienced that. And if your parent did any of these things, that might cause you to have a negative view of sexuality. Or you might have an understanding about sexuality that is skewed by those experiences. It may have given you a wrong understanding of God's plan for sexuality. And the other piece is too, sometimes it can cause resentment and it can cause anger towards those who are your caretakers or your parents or your grandparents or your aunts and uncles. It can cause resentments about the choices that they made and how it impacted you, especially if 
It's your parent, and it's an affair that they had with someone outside of their marriage. And so you can work through those things when you get married. I would recommend, however, that you start working on them before you get married, if you have that opportunity. Working through all of the different sexual examples, poor and good, that are out there can then enhance your ability to engage well in your marital sexual relationship. Yes, it does affect the choices that you make as a married individual. It does, it can taint the experiences that you have and your view of sex. It can cause problems where you might start either being someone who makes sexual demands because that's what was modeled for you in your in your caregivers or where you respond in a way to sexual demands that are affected by what you saw, that, okay, this is normal, this is what people do, and so I go ahead and say yes to that. It also might cause problems with sexual functioning. So one of the things that will come up for uh, young individuals or even when people get married older, when they do get married, that these backgrounds of seeing the kind of choices that parents made seeing those things can then inhibit their own sexual response to their spouse. I work with couples where um, the wife, say, has seen their parent in multiple affairs. You know, those affairs were spurred on by interest in looking at lust, looking at the sexual body and so on. And so anytime she has a husband that shows an interest in looking at her body, even when that's good and godly, it gets attached to what she saw in her upbringing. And then, of course, especially if she has a spouse who gets involved in pornography, those underlying experiences that happened in her upbringing become very difficult to work through when it happens in her marriage, when her husband then engages. This happens both directions. I've worked with husbands where they saw their father demanding sex of their mother and they saw their mother go out and have affairs. And so then when in their adult marital sexual relationship didn't feel like they could re- say what they wanted because they felt like it would be a demand or they were very restrictive of what their wife did in their social life because of the fears of seeing their wife do what their mother did. So your background and what you saw your parents do And then, yes, how they talked about sexuality will affect some of the issues you can have in marriage. If your parents talked crudely about sex, I was working with someone where their parent would make jokes about their body or about sexuality to them. And then it caused that feeling of sex is dirty because it felt dirty when they were young and they would hear these crude jokes from their parents where the way that their parents talked about it gave this uncomfortable, invasive feeling. So it is important to look at, number one, if you are married, how are you communicating? Are you are you at times sharing things that aren't appropriate for your children to hear? And then if you are uh, single and you're listening to this, you may need to work through what it was like to hear these comments because it does affect your adult sexuality, even in a good marital relationship. It can create sexual inhibition. And then it can do the opposite. It can create sexual promiscuity. If someone sees a parent who's 
having sex with any number of individuals, it can create this, oh, well, then we can go and have sex with multiple different partners. And it's this is the norm. And that may be the example you grew up with. And that may be how you engage in sexuality or how you have in your past. And you're trying to work through, you know, this parent that wasn't a great example. Now, for some people, though, all of those experiences, instead of creating promiscuity, like I said, it can create inhibition or it can create a full aversion to sex. That when they when they heard a parent overshare, when they saw a parent engage in sexuality in a way that um, wasn't a great example, when they when when a parent was intrusive or made negative comments, that can then create in an adult sexual relationship, a full aversion, like I don't want anything to do with sexuality. It really points to, if these have been your experiences, it really points to the need to work through what those experiences were like and to then gain a positive understanding of what sexuality can be. So the first thing that I would recommend is speak openly about those experiences. A lot of times people don't want to talk about it because they don't want to say bad things <laughs> about their parents or their grandparents or their caregivers or the people that they love and respect. And yet find a safe person and speak openly. Talk to somebody that you trust. Speak to somebody professionally. And then this is important. When you do get married, there's a chapter in our book, The Art of Intimate Marriage, called Families and Sexuality. Sorry, out of the book Redeemed Sexuality called Families and Sexuality. It's also in the Art of Intimate Marriage by a different name. Go ahead when you, either before you get married, which would be a great idea, or early in your marriage, go ahead and read that together. Because often what happens for couples is they get married and it's fun and it's exciting. And early in their marriage, things go great. And then all those things from their background start to come into play. They start to pop up. And so it might not show up right away because it's fun and exciting and new and it's positive. But then once things become at all problematic in the sexual relationship, up come all of those negative experiences. So it's vital to sit down with your partner. If you're not married, this would be something you can do premaritally or early in your marriage. If you're already married, you can sit down and do that now Get our book, Families and Sexuality, and talk through all the different experiences that you could have, and then talk through how that could be coming up in your relationship currently. Share your thoughts. And then if you need to, pray about it, seek guidance, seek counsel together as a couple. So if this is your future and you, you're not married yet, that may be something you end up doing. Remember, God, I love the scripture that talks about he makes all things new. So he can, even when you have these bad examples in your background, God can make all things new. So take some time, explore those things. Well, let's look at some other questions that come up for singles and teens. What do you do when you're physically and sexually attracted to a brother in your ministry? This is, would be from somebody who's single and you're building a relationship or you have an interest with them, what's a good way to defer and or address this feeling? So this is, I'm interested in somebody. I'd, I'd like to date them. I'd, I'm interested in maybe having a relationship with them, but I, I do, and, and I do have these physical sexual attractions to them. What do I do with that? How do I defer and address that? 
You know, one of the things to remember is that physical traction is usually, so this would be different from, say, sexual attraction, is that when we look at someone and we find them either handsome or beautiful, they're enjoyable to look at, or we admire their physical body, the shape. Um, Of course, when we go into more physical desire that is sexual, then it's going to be that we are admiring their body as in the form of it, the breasts, the buttocks, and so on. A physical attraction might be to their shape, to their muscles, to their face, to their hair, and so on. Sexual attraction is different. So this individual who asked the question is putting physical and sexual attraction together. They are two separate things. So physical is to the beauty of the person and their form and their face, maybe to their to their hair, you know, to their voice. Sexual attraction is more to the sexual parts of the body, to the and to desiring, feeling the desire to physically be touched by them or to touch them. And so this would be like desiring to touch, to kiss, to, to sexually be with them. So sometimes, though, when people ask a question about the, the desire itself, what they are generally meaning is that their body becomes aroused when they think about them or when they see them or when they spend time with them. And so it's important to realize that when you have those sensations of arousal, that that's pretty normal. But if you dwell on it and linger on it and you're trying to remain sexually abstinent in that relationship, meaning you're not going to engage in sexuality, and you're trying to stay sexually individually abstinent, meaning you're not going to engage in masturbation or you're not going to allow it to trip you into using pornography. So if you're shooting for that level of purity, which I'm assuming many listening here are, then lingering on those feelings and those pictures that might come to your mind or lingering on viewing those parts of their body might be more the problem and can cause more excitement about the the thing that can happen with that is that when you linger on that thinking this is this really comes into a lot of the different scriptures that talk about what lust is um, when you look at it in Matthew where Jesus says that if you look at a woman with lust, then you're committing adultery. The word lust there literally in the Greek means a lingering look. It's not just a quick flash. So this might be where the physical and, and, and sexual attraction comes in. You, you feel that quick flash or your eye is drawn quickly. But the lingering look, this is the second look or keeping the eyes on it. That goes into lust, and that would be not only keeping your eyes there, but also keeping your mind there. Well, when people, whether single or married, keep their eyes on somebody or keep their mind on somebody longer than that quick flash, what can happen is they will develop more of a interest in the physical part of the relationship than about who the person is and about the emotional and spiritual part of the relationship. So there's a twofold thing here. Don't linger. Okay. But then also, if you do feel that attraction, you can honor it and notice it and say, okay, that's there. That's not a good or bad thing. It's just, I feel that. And now I'm going to actually focus on building up If I'm deciding not to, I'm not married to this person yet, but I can feel that draw, then I'm going to focus on the emotional and spiritual part of our relationship. 
what will happen is when people feel attraction, they'll start to focus on that part of the relationship. And that can then stunt the growth in the emotional and spiritual part where they start engaging physically and then all of a sudden they're realizing they're not really knowing each other very well. They're not having those deep conversations and they don't even know. I work with individuals who aren't married and they come to my office and often they don't even know what the spiritual beliefs are of the individual that they're dating. And yet they're physically involved. And I'm like, hmm, you may want to reverse that. (laughs) You may want to find out what their spiritual beliefs are. You may want to find out what's important to them. You may want to really get to know them before you become physically involved. So that pull towards attraction, that's normal. What you do with it, which is what part of the relationship to focus on, is the big important part. It's normal to feel these things, but letting these attractions guide your decisions about your relationship can cause any number of choices that probably aren't the wisest, such as involving yourself in sexual impurity or sexual immorality. And it can cause a couple to move their relationship forward quicker than is really best for them. When when the physical pull of attraction becomes more important than building the emotional and the spiritual, couples move quicker in relationships than they should. This is without fail. This happens. And so often I tell couples, slow down, slow down. Get to know each other spiritually and emotionally. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 3130. I love this. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So this is actually a a scripture that's used for married women. I think this ought to be used not just for women, but for all relationships. That someone's charm, a man can be very charming. A woman can be very charming. And they can be beautiful. He can be handsome and she can be beautiful. So your draw, the attraction can be legit. However... (laughs) The thing that God praises is someone's fear of the Lord, their reverence and love for God. So if this was to be said for, let's reword this scripture. If it was written about a brother who this question was actually asked about a brother, charm is deceptive and a handsome face and the handsome body is fleeting, but a man who fears the Lord is to be praised. You know, the reality is good looks don't endure. Always. Some people stay good looking till they're 100, but not most. And so build your relationships and your future family wisely by focusing your eyes and your mind on that brother's or that sister's fear and love for God. Go there. Focus on that. And then the physical can just be an enjoyable treat on top of it. Okay. I just want to let you know this before we go on to some more that uh, what what you're listening to is a broadcast um, principally for married individuals. We have been going the last several broadcasts into things for singles and teens. And it's important to realize that you can go and read these things. You can go and listen to previous broadcasts. Go on to The Art of Intimate Marriage. The broadcasts are recorded there. You can go buy our books, Redeemed Sexuality and The Art of Intimate Marriage, and you can read it slowly and digest these things slowly. On the website, you can find a link to go ahead and donate. This is a listener-supported ministry And we welcome any help to continue this broadcasting. So go ahead and look at some of the resources available. You can also send me questions to jenniferconson at yahoo.com. My name, 
at yahoo.com. I love it when you send them to me. And that's what a lot of these shows have been on the last few broadcasts. So let's come back to some of the other questions that people have. This one came from a workshop that I did for women, God, Women, and Sexuality. It was a large group of women, married, single, campus teens. And one of the individuals there came and asked a question that probably very few would ask in a religiously conservative audience, but it's a super important question. I believe in liberal sex. Sex is natural, so do it with love and responsibility. Why is this wrong? Now, we address this a lot in our book, in the chapter Save Yourself, and in the previous broadcasts, but <laughs> let's talk about it some more today. There is a lot of views about sexuality and that it's, if someone loves someone and if they are responsible, then it must be okay. It's a huge question, but let's talk about a couple pieces of this. Go back. If you have more questions about does the Bible actually teach, what does the Bible actually teach, go back and listen to those other broad, those, those other podcasts and go ahead and read it in the book. But there is that belief that if you love someone, if you're not harming anyone, then sexual relationships are good and they're right. There are churches that actually teach this. There is an author out there right now who is a She's a minister for um, one of the churches and who teaches that chastity is not necessarily always the only choice. In other words, waiting till marriage is not the only choice, that as long as you love someone and you're responsible, sex is good. So, yeah, you can find religious individuals that will support that. So let's answer a couple different things from this person's question. One is about love and the other is about harm. And let me define love in and of itself just biblically. This is from 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. I love it that the Bible defines things so clearly. This is how we know that we love the children of God. And here's the definition, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So love, we want to say it's just an emotion, but according to the scriptures, it's much, much more than an emotion. The way we love other people, because that's what this scripture says. This is how we know we love the children of God. So loving other people, the way it's defined scripturally is that you love God and you obey his commands. So if you love somebody that you're with, somebody that's important to you, you'll be more concerned about what's best for their relationship with God than you will be about having sex with them. So we need to define love as God defines it according to these scriptures, if you truly love somebody, you're going to carry out the commands of God and not just follow what you wish and what you desire and what feels good. You're going to be more concerned about their their eternity and their relationship with God. That's going to be of the most importance to you. So you, it's important. Remember, people can love someone and have sex with them even when the relationship is completely inappropriate, meaning it's someone else's spouse. I This comes in my office quite a bit where I'll have an individual that comes in and they love somebody and they're not their spouse. And so what does the Bible say about that? So if you're going to follow God's commands... You're not going to engage in those kinds of relationships. So love as an emotional feeling isn't the only standard that we should use and that we should trust. You know, we need to trust God that making our decisions on what we should engage in sexually, that he actually would know what's best. So 
Okay, so that's the answer to the the love part. What about the harm part? We also need to define what harm is. So I'm a sex therapist and I'm a researcher. Research does show that sex and uncommitted relationships does have some negative consequences. I'm not going to go into those today, but it has when people, this comes in my office, when people engage in sexuality and they are not in a committed relationship, it has all kinds of challenges attached to it, all kinds of harms that happen. And it's important to know that. This is straight from people that aren't even spiritual. It's, it's in the research on sexuality. But it's also important to define harm biblically and to define what exactly is being harmed. We do cover this in a whole separate broadcast on the body is not made for sexual morality. And what are some of the physical harms and the details to the physical, emotional, and spiritual harm when someone engages in sexual immorality? But let me leave you with this thought. God made us and he adores us. So he doesn't make up rules to harm us. Clearly, the scriptures teach that sexuality outside of the marital relationship physically harms the body. So the scripture that in Corinthians that Paul says is, The body is not made for sexual morality. So it is not beneficial for the body to engage in sexual morality. Well, why would God make that rule? Because he knows what's best for us. So it's really trusting that God is our creator. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So... You know, that question, let me go back to the wording. If it's natural and we do it with love and responsibility, in other words, it doesn't cause any harm to someone and then it must be okay. You've got to think beyond the body, although it does cause bodily harm. You have to think about the spirit of the person. When you engage sexually outside of God's plan, it does cause spiritual harm. So that's not spiritually responsible. God knows that. And so he says, I have good plans for you and they are not to harm you. They're actually to give you a hope and a future. When God gives us boundaries for our sexual choices, he does this because he knows he knows what's best for us. He created us and he doesn't want to harm us. And so really bottom line, when it comes down to is we need to trust him. We need to trust him that he is a God who loves us so much so that he gave up everything that was precious to him to come down and tell us that. So let's remember that. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Conson to address here on air, email her at jenniferconson at yahoo.com. Conson is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N. Jennifer Conson at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you. And if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Conson's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.